ScoreBig is the leading online marketplace for tickets to sports, concerts, theater, and family events. ScoreBig allows you to purchase last-minute tickets to sold-out events. Also, the latest on sales of popular artists, teams, and productions. They'll get you in. They safeguard your transaction with a 100% money-back guarantee under a secure checkout with interactive seat maps to guide your purchase. And whether it's an Atlanta Braves game, Metallica concert, or a WWE event, they've got you covered. Book your seats now at tinyurl.com slash p3events. That's tinyurl.com slash p3events. Welcome to P3 Radio. The monkey only dances as good as the guy grinding the organ handle. Demolition! We're coming for you, baby! <laughs> that was my moment of I carried a watermelon. And if you're going to call me back tomorrow, whatever I do, you better believe I took my turn a little bit. <laughs> what? Cool story, bro. PG3 Radio. Nope. Here's your host, Josh Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, next up we have crying little blonde children. Richard Mulliken. I don't know. Is this making any sense to anybody out there? It's showtime! It's showtime! It's showtime! Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of P3 Radio. I'm Richard Mulliken, joined by my co-host and best friend, Josh Briley. Say hey, Josh. I'm feeling a little dangerous today, Richard. Why is that, Josh? Because we have none other than Dangerous Danny Davis on the hotline today. Yeah, Dangerous Danny Davis, for those of you that don't know, is not the same Danny Davis that we know. He's not the Memphis legend that trained people in OVW. This is Dangerous Danny Davis. Think Heart Foundation. Think WrestleMania 3. Think Think original heel referee. Well, he's got a book coming out this month. We're going to talk to him, get all the details about that. But first, got to take a commercial break from P3 Florida. Florida Ticket Station. Florida. Your one-stop shop for discounted tickets on all of Orlando's best theme parks. All of Orlando's local attractions. Orlando. All of Orlando's events. Fucking Orlando. All of Orlando's local attractions. Orlando. And so much more. Yeah. They offer affordable tickets to Disney World. Mickey Mouse. Universal Studios. Back to the Future. SeaWorld. Well. Legoland. Everything is awesome. Bush Gardens. And so much more. But but seriously, Josh, they are licensed and insured with the state of Florida. Florida. So you can rest assured that your reservations are valid. Valid. Summer's coming and vacation time's right around the corner. Round the corner. So go to tinyurl.com slash p3florida and book your Orlando vacation today. Today tinyurl.com slash p3 florida p3 florida welcome back to more p3 radio ladies and gentlemen joining us on the p3 radio hotline right now former wwf referee and wrestler who has a book out right now called mr x the story of dangerous Danny Davis. Mr. Davis, thank you for being here with us today. 
Well, thank you, Rich. How you been? Everything all right? Everything's great. We we it's are great. honored to have you. Like I said, you were one of those guys when we watched growing up in a great era of WWF and great era of wrestling, and we are just happy to have you on with us today. Well, I'm happy to be here, and uh, I'm glad you called it the greatest era. I think it's the greatest era in, re- in wrestling of all time. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be duplicated. We did some great things back then. Uh, it was... Uh, revolutionary i mean we we, we uh, brought things wrestling into the limelight into where it is today and i was very proud to be part of it researching for this interview you had a pretty tough childhood growing up and you used to do shoot fights for a living well <laughs> yes sir uh, and that's probably a good time to put in the, what the book is about yeah because this book is a uh, part of that is is a uh, part of the book is my upbringing as a young kid uh, being a street kid, being a street fighter and stuff like that, and it goes on to give you some specifics onto that. But this book, uh, uh, myself and uh, Kenny Casanova from WOHW Publishing decided to write a book, but we had to make it a book because everybody's write, re- writing a wrestling book. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for a couple of years, he's, he was bugging me about, about doing a book, and I was kind of hesitant because everybody, you know, does the same thing, kind of, sort of, does a bio- autobiography and tells stories about road stories and stuff like that. But I wanted to be, my book had to be different. And that's what I told Kenny when he asked, when he approached me on it. So we kicked it around for a couple of years, really. And finally, we come up with a concept that, of my background as a street kid and then coming up through the ranks in wrestling and achieving a goal and achieving a dream. So this book is an inspirational book for young adults, especially, but anybody can read this book. You don't have to be a wrestling fan per se to enjoy this book. And it's a book that you can come back and reference as you're living your life and trying to achieve your dreams. And we're just trying to uh, let kids know and young adults know and anybody really that with a lot of hard work and work ethic, you can reach your goals. And when you reach a goal or a dream or achieve a dream or live a dream, there's no words to describe it. And I'm living proof of that. So I hope that everybody will enjoy this book and uh, get to read it. That's awesome. What's your first memory of seeing pro wrestling, whether it be on TV or in person? Well, my first memory was very easy for me to remember because it was with my biggest sister. My older sister brought me to wrestling one time. And where I live now, there was uh, an arena. And it was called Jack Witchie's Arena. And every Friday night, rain, snow, sleet, hail, whatever, <laughs> they had a wrestling match there. And that was the days of Baron Sakluner and uh, Chief J. Strongbow and uh, a, lo- a lot of the greats. And uh, I went there for my first time when I was about 11 years old, 12 years old, and I witnessed a, a wrestling, my first wrestling match. And I was hooked. <laughs> I was hooked. <laughs> How did you go about getting into the business? Well, that, that's how it developed. I, I knew from that day forward that somehow, some way, I was going to be part of that wrestling business. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that at that age, I, it was just, again, it was just a dream. And everybody told me, no, you have to be a, you know, this, you, you got to be that. You'll never do this. Because I was a street kid, you know, I wanted to. So <laughs> what happened was I used to hang around outside the the, uh, the door at, at Witchy's on Friday night, and I would carry the bags for the wrestlers who showed up from the from the car to the door, the back door, and they would go in, you know, and they would thank me, hoping I was hoping to get a ticket or whatever. So one day, 
I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and the guy who was setting the rings up, and that wasn't at Jack Wishy's because there was a ring there all the time, but he set rings up around the New England area for when way, way back. Right. And he said, look, look, I, uh, I'll give you a couple tickets if you come around with me, and I'll get you into wrestling matches, and da 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 da, da if you can meet me at certain places and put help me put the ring up. Right. So I said, sure, and I would do that. And that's how it started. I started putting rings up with this guy, and then uh, the rest of the story's in the book, but that's uh, basically how I started. In my opinion, like I said before, you were part of the WWF in one of the best time periods ever for wrestling, and I'm biased by that because, like I said, this is when I was growing up, and you guys were bigger than life itself. You were comic book heroes for me. Uh, what was it like working for the WWF in the 80s and 90s? I mean, what was the travel schedule like? Well, it was brutal, really brutal. We would wrestle sometimes, as you uh, all the events. We would wrestle sometimes nine times a week. Wow. We would get up. We'd, we'd have a, uh, an afternoon show in Boston, say, and then we would get on a Learjet or a plane and we'd fly to the West Coast and have a show that night. Wow! And then we would get on a plane after that and come back down, go down to Texas that night, get up in the morning and have a have a matinee on Saturday afternoon. Get on a plane. And go to go up to Canada for an evening flight. Leave that place. Leave that place. Get down into Boston for a show, a matinee there, and get on another plane and fly to the Midwest and have a show that night. Wow! And that was on a weekend. That was just a weekend. <laughs> then we'd wrestle. Then we'd wrestle Monday through Friday every night. So yeah, it was a pretty tough schedule. But uh, and it was you know uh, how can I put it? Uh, it was brutal. But we did it. You know, and we we knew what we were doing. Because we were developing uh, a product that was going to be great. I mean, we were taking over territories at that time, as you know. We were uh, crisscrossing into different territories, which was uh, never done before. And uh, to be part of something like that, you, you could see what was going on. And the houses were great. The fans, especially the fans, you know, they followed us wherever we went. And they're the, they're the greatest fans in the world, in my opinion. And I'm biased in that way because these fans supported us through, you know, they would show up <laughs> during a blizzard. They would show up during an ice storm. You know, they were dedicated. And uh, we enjoyed, you know, performing for them and, and putting on a show for them. And, when, and I always, and most of the guys, they always gave 100% every night for these people. But the fans, you can't beat the fans. Well, you know, you brought up, you guys were taking over territories at the time. And Hulk Hogan in his book, he had wrote about when those guys, when WWE was coming through Kansas City and Harley Race came in and threatened to set the ring on fire. Did you ever ha come in contact with one of those moments where it was like, okay, we might have some trouble here trying to take over this territory because of so much heat from the guys that's been running this area for so long? No, no, not, not the guys per se. I mean, they didn't blame us. Right. We were just, you know, we were uh, – uh, going where we were booked, you know, it wasn't our fault that we were in there doing the thing. The people that were were upset would would probably uh, have more success on taking it out on Vince in some way, like try to sabotage the show, like right. you know, put ad, uh, ads on it that were coming and don't go and stuff like that. But we never uh, ran into anybody who stopped us and said, "Look, you guys can't do this here" and stuff like that. No, that never happened. It was all it was all taken care of before we went into the into the town. <laughs> How long were you refereeing before your first match? And what are your memories of your first match? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my uh, my memories, my, I refereed for a long, long time before I 
became a, a, a Mr. X, as you know. Right. And uh, I wrestled as Mr. X for a long time. And uh, my first match, well, again, it's in the book. My first match was an exciting time for anybody uh, who uh, had a dream of becoming a wrestler, had a dream being a street kid coming up through the, you know, through the hard times and stuff like that, to actually be in a ring or an arena and having people out there watching you. I thought then that I had achieved my dream of becoming a wrestler, and little did I know that that dream would be even greater as I went on with my career. As you know, I turned into Dangerous Danny Davis, and then, of course, the rest is history. So, yeah, it was quite a, it's uh, like I said at the beginning of this, uh, <clears throat> there's no way to describe uh, for me or anybody else other than, you know, the uh, pride you have when you achieve one of your dreams or live one of your dreams. And that's all I can, that's the only way I can explain it. And, and unless you've done that and, you know, you, you will not realize how it feels to, to uh, achieve that goal. Now, my grandmother, she she made gear for tons of wrestlers in the business, and, whether it be Lawler or Bullet Bob Armstrong, just any guy that went through the southeast, whether whatever territory, right. it was always word of mouth. Who made your mask for Mister X? Well, uh, it was a uh, as you know, there were many many guys who would uh, go in as Mister X, and usually it was used the name Mr. X was used when uh, the cards were needed to be filled out. So somebody would wrestle twice that night. They would come out in a different outfit and put a mask on and say, you know, go out as Mr. X, usually do a job. And then he'd go up in the back, in the back. And of course he would come out as his character at that time and have another match. So it was usually, but my masks were uh, actually, I bought these masks from someone who was coming through the territory and I don't remember even who it was. (laughs) But he had a he had a, a a bunch of them with him, and I asked him. I said, "Do you have a mask you could sell me?" You know, and he says, "Hey, you know, I have a lot of masks." You know, hmm. he says, "And I want to get rid of them all." So I bought them all. <laughs> I had orange and red, yellow and red. I had green. I had black. I had one with a star on it, and uh, and uh, you know, I had like eight masks. So I would have a mask, a different mask for every night, practically. <laughs> well, Josh, Josh is being really modest here, and I grew up with him as his best friend. His grandmother was an excellent seamstress. Chances are, if you had a mask with a star on it, you probably had one that she made. She was making it for all these guys, and like I said, she was doing stuff for guys that were coming in from WWE, like the Truth Commission, back when it was uh, in the 90s and stuff like that. So it wasn't odd to see like Honky Talk Man or somebody over at their, her house so chances are you may have had a mask made by her so that's that's pretty well, well, cool what was her name betty briley yeah it was betty briley yeah she was the you know i talked to you earlier and i said we actually have connection here in a way because um his uncle was kind of like my uncle too you know we grew up together like brothers right. his uncle was the other danny davis he was the one oh that wrestled goodness. in the uh Texas, Nightmare Dandy Davis. Davis. He wrestled in Memphis. Yep, 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 sure, of course, sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, I'm sure that I have (laughs) probably had one of her masks, or at least. Well, and another thing, I, you know, I, I usually I bought some tights, a black outfit, black tights, and with a stripe down the side, which was common back then. Black boots from a from another guy who was either getting out of the business or, or I had it to sell. So that's where I got my outfits at the beginning. But then, of course. And then, of course, we I had uh, uh, 
someone make the Danny Davis off at WWE, WWF at the time right. had that done for me. So they, they came up with a, they had uh, people there that do that specifically do that. They make, uh, they come up with a character and they come up with a, with an outfit to wear. So that's where I got my other, uh, uh, a reggae, as we'll say, wrestling, right. wrestling tights. Yeah. Right. Well, anytime you have men in a competitive atmosphere, competitive atmosphere, just like me and Josh, we grew up, like I said, like brothers, anytime you're around those much, those many people at the same time, you're going to have conflict. Do you remember seeing or being a part of any kind of locker room scuffles? And you don't have to mention names, but what was the atmosphere like in the 80s? Was it was it kind of like a measuring contest, or was everybody just kind of happy to be on the card? Well, like I said earlier, we were all working for one goal. Right. And that goal was to bring wrestling throughout the world, throughout America and and beyond, you know, Middle East, uh, Europe, and all that stuff. So everybody had their spot. Everybody right. had their job. And everybody got, knew that. And everybody, you know, well, most, I would say the majority of people were happy to be there. But, and, uh, you know, there was some, uh, uh, I wouldn't say conflict, but there were guys, as you pointed out, thought that they should be in a spot that another guy was in. But they never came to, I want that spot or something like that. Because, again, we all work together. And if you didn't work together, uh, Vince McMahon would just say, look, thank you for your time, you know. Right. But this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to be. And if you want to be part of this, fine. If you don't, then, uh, you know, you're welcome to leave, you know. Right. It's hard to dance by yourself. It's better to have a partner. Right. That's right. Yes. That's right. So you've got to work together and the referees even were, were part of it, you know, working together with everybody. And it was one big machine and everything worked together. And again, and I don't want to be repetitive, but if you don't want to be there, if you didn't want to be, uh, be part of it, you didn't have to be. Right. It was as simple as that because <laughs> there was eight guys or 10 guys right behind you just waiting for your spot <laughs> that could do you could do your job exactly. and could take over your spot. And, and if you know, if you weren't careful and if you didn't show up on time, you didn't go give a hundred percent out there and you weren't working out and you weren't staying on the straight now, then you were gone. I went back and watched one of the most memorable moments that I can remember with you in it, which was WrestleMania and it was WrestleMania three and I watched that match back, and I don't know if anybody in that whole on that whole entire card had more heat than you did when you tagged in, and you, you immediately got booze just for tagging in. You you put three boots to the guy and tag out and get a a chorus of booze, like the loudest reaction that you could hear for a heel get. Do three moves and then tag out and get a louder louder reaction. What was it like? What what was going through your head? Did you have goosebumps or anything like that? Did you even know how special no, it was? No, it, it, I knew it was special <laughs> the minute I through through the whole thing, beginning to end. I knew that it was a special moment in in wrestling history. I knew it was a special moment in my life. I knew it was a special moment in everybody's life that was there, awesome. fans included. And when I went got on that cot and was going down that 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 aisle on that cot, and the people were just, you know, booing me, and like you said, everything was working, everything was. But I didn't, uh, I don't didn't ever pay attention to uh, the people there. I mean, I knew the fans were there and stuff like that, but I was there to do my job, and I was going to give one hundred and ten percent to these people who came to see me, and I did that. And this is what happens when you 
uh, when you have uh, determination and you have uh, a hard working, you know, I worked hard for that spot. I worked so hard for that spot in that moment in my life, my whole life, you know, came to a, a head in that moment in time. And I wasn't going to let it go and nobody was going to take it away from me. And today, now no one can take it away from me ever because I was part of the biggest card in history. And as you know, I was over. And, oh, uh, yeah. and that, that, I worked hard for that. And everybody around me worked hard to see that that happened too. So I can't take all the credit because the people you work for, if they don't want to work with, for, with you, then you might as well go home. But right. these guys were great. Tito Santana, the British Bulldogs, Brett and Jim, Jimmy Hart. How can you beat it? They were the greatest tag teams of all time, in my opinion. You know, they, they, were, they were so hot that, <laughs> I don't know, I was just in a great place. And I wasn't going to let it go by. So you asked me how how it felt. It's it's, it's indescribable. Right. I mean, honestly, we come from the Memphis uh, territory. So Jimmy Hart was a heat magnet for us immediately. But when you go to watching WrestleMania three and seeing that reaction, it is second to none. There is nobody that can take that away from you. You were probably one of the hottest people on that card that night. And people really wanted to see you just get beat up. And as a heel being a heel myself at times, there is no bigger compliment than wanting people to have your head on a stick. <laughs> Isn't that something? It was great. People tell me today, oh, I hated you. Oh, I hated you. <laughs> and, and I just looked at him and said, if you hated me, I did my job. Exactly. And, I, you know, and I'm glad you hated me. Thank you very much. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling. I mean, you're doing your job. You, you, I, and as they say in, in the business, you're over. Okay. And uh, I was over big time. And, uh, and uh, I was, as I say, it was, I wasn't going to let it go. I wasn't going to let that. I was going to do my best. And uh, I wasn't going to wrestle like everybody else. I wasn't going to take bumps like everybody else. I was going to be dangerous Danny Davis, and I was going to let people enjoy every minute of that match. And we, 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 we swerved them. We, you know, I actually got a win. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was was telling Josh, you might be the last undefeated person. Now that undertaker's lost, you might be the last undefeated person at WrestleMania. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever have any trouble with the fans like that would recognize you on the streets? Oh yeah. All well, see, you gotta be professional at all times, you know? And, uh, you know, we go to, the bars at night, you know, have a couple beers after the show at the hotel we were staying at, or a local bar that everybody uh, uh, went to throughout. Uh, again, we got to say history, but when we, we went into a town, there were places we would go, you know, specific places, and uh, the bartenders and everybody would, you know, kind of take care of us. But you always had a few guys there that uh, a few people had a, a little bit too much. <laughs> and wanted to fight you and, and wanted right. to take it out. But you got to be professional. You know, some guys would just, you know, uh, take care of business. Uh, and uh, uh, how should I say it? And end it before it started. Uh, you know, but most <laughs> of us would just take it with a grain of salt. And uh, the people that were around us that owned the bars or whatever would generally you know, get rid of the, the troublemakers right away and take care of it for us, the bouncers or whatever they had on there tonight. But if we needed to, yeah, we were more than capable of, uh, we would show them that, you know, it, it wasn't all bullshit. Yeah, we talked step, to superstar Bill Dundee not too long ago, and he was talking about the guys that would, the old women that would come at you with purses and nail files and stuff like that. So. Oh. 
Oh, yeah. I can't imagine the heat that you had. I can't imagine. And this was a time when you guys were on national television. So not only are you getting the regional heat, you're getting the national heat as being this cheating referee, which everybody already hates, by the way. They already assume that referees are crooked in, like, NFL or the NBA. So when you're playing that character, and you're playing it great, by the way. So when you see that, it's instant heat. So I imagine you had a few times where some fan tried to test the limits. Well, you don't know. You know, you go into a <laughs> restaurant, someone recognizes you. What if it's the cook? What if it's the waitress? <laughs> you know, and, and most of the time that's what that we're doing. You know, you guys, I know you guys. You know, and oh, shit, you say to yourself, oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, boy, what am I going to get tonight to eat? You know, and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, oh. Or a taxi cab driver or anybody, you know. Right. You got to be real careful because, you know, <laughs> you can get poisoned or whatever. And like you say, <laughs> you know, people would walk in front of you on purpose and, and uh, you know, uh, try to start fighting with you and stuff like that. But, you know, you – and, again, when you went into the arena especially, you know, you had to be careful. Uh, and I had to be extra careful. A lot of times they would tell me, look, just walk down the center of the aisle, stay in the center. You know, and when you get done with the match, come right back out. Don't fool with anybody. Don't talk to anybody. Don't approach anybody because, you know, people wanted to kill me. Right. <laughs> you know, there they were threats. There were threats. They were going to get me that night, you know, and they would right. wait in the parking lot and all that stuff for us and everything else. But uh, we really, uh, believe it or not, I never had to have a, uh, any, I never had any altercations. I mean, I could always. Uh, I always walked away, uh, you know, professionally, you know, I mean, I didn't let people put their hands on me, but usually it was handled, you know, with diplomacy and, uh, you know, just get away from me and get in the car and leave or whatever. You know, I mean, they had things throwing bottles at the car and stuff like that, nagging the car and letting the air out of your tires while you're in the arena or whatever, <laughs> coming out with flat four flat tires or whatever, the windshield broken or whatever. <laughs> But that's part of the business back then. Oh, I don't yeah. think it happens as much today. You know, I even had my car towed one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I come out to get my car, it was gone. They, you know, they come in and say, your car's been towed. And, you know, oh, geez. it was a rental car and I had to go get it towed, you know. But I mean, that was, you know, but that happened to everybody, not just me. Right. But, well, you yeah, know, but like you said, it was, it was the height of, you know, wrestling and oh, everybody yeah. was, yeah. Davey Boy Smith was part of the British Bulldogs, and he was known, and you worked with him a lot with the British Bulldogs and everything, and he was known as a great ribber. Who would you say was one of the best ribbers in the locker room at the time, and what was one of the best ribs that you ever saw? Well, I would have to say Owen Hart was one of the best ribbers. Oh, yeah. All right. Mr. Fuji, by, uh, without a doubt, he'll go down in history as one of the greatest ribbers of all time. <laughs> But that was, you know, <laughs> and uh, the the best rib I one of the best ribs I I thought of, and I don't know who did it, and I I really don't know who did it. But we were at TV one time, and they had a big coffee urn there. You know, the catering would put a big coffee urn at the in the middle of the uh, the the hallway so that everybody could get coffee and you know however they wanted it because it was a long day and it was TV tapings and stuff like that. And someone put. Uh, uh, volumes in the, in the coffee urn. Wow. So everybody's walking around yawning and tired and sleeping from falling asleep. So we don't know who did that, but, but the, the whole, the whole uh, dressing room was, uh, 
everybody's sleeping, kind of trying to find, trying to stay awake, <laughs> and no one could figure out why everybody was so tired. But and then uh, later on, we found out that someone had done that, spiked the wow. coffee. That's awesome. Uh, that was just one rib. That's just one rib. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's about, but we we never found out who did it. But we have our we have our suspicions. <laughs> what What was it like the day after Hacksaw Duggan and Iron Sheet got pulled over on the Jersey Turnpike? Just backstage was but, it doom and gloom, well, or just another? Day? Well, it, you know, uh, we were we were in New Jersey, and uh, no, we were in uh, Nassau Coliseum. That's where we were, and that happened, and uh, there was. He was stuck for a ride, and uh, one of them was stuck for a ride, and they decided to ride together, which was very, very stupid on both their parts. Right, right. And then to get pulled over, you know, you know, when you set yourself up in a situation where things can go wrong, they usually do, you know. Right. And then both of them, both of them are smarter than that. And I don't know, you know, I never got the the real story as to why it happened or how it took. All I know is one of them needed a ride, and. You know, the money they were making, you know, rent a car. Yeah. yeah you know what I'm saying? <laughs> rent a car. You know, you don't you don't go out with you, with a guy you got, you know, you, you're working with. And, and, you know, because, again, as I said, just said, you don't set yourself up for, for stuff like that, especially in this business. And it killed them both. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that was the end of their their tenure. So in, in, uh, he could never come back from that. And uh and, uh, and it's an expose, you know, and it, and it kind of exposed the business too. Yeah. Uh, and it really didn't. And this business has been exposed and and dumped on, and, and you know everything imaginable has happened in this business. And you don't need to add to it. So that, that's probably all I have to say about that. But yeah. they're both great guys, and they're both smarter than that. Especially, especially you know Duggan. I mean, uh, he knows better. So, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Duggan actually came out and said his dad was a, a police officer. And yeah. said that he actually came up to him as like, come on, man, you know, like, so Duggan kind of owned up to it a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, that's my case. You know, Duggan knew that. Hey, what the hell? <laughs> the yeah, it's like a kid, you know, putting your, putting, his, putting his hand in a fire, you know, it's going, you know, or you're putting your hand in a fan, you know what I'm saying? You don't do that stuff. <laughs> The 1987 King of the Ring was totally different for you as far as from 86 when you were substituting as Mr. X. You made it to the third round, but you lost to the Macho Man. Did you enjoy right. working with Randy? Randy Savage was one of the greatest workers I worked with. He was he was uh, uh, phenomenal. He was smooth. He was uh, you know on time. That his timing was there. He had the psychology. All you had to do was listen and stand there and do what he asked you to do, and, and you have a great match with him. And uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was phenomenal to work with Randy. I, and I I was kind of starry eyed, you know. He was one of the greats. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, and and, and, and and there you are in the semifinal with him. I mean, how do you again? How do you how do you top that? I mean, but everything kept happening. Better things kept happening, you know, for me. And it's just I. It, as they as we went along, it's just you know it, it, you realize that you know you're really part of this, and, and this is what you got to do, you know. And, and it's a great thing. It's a you know, and your and your pride. Okay. And, and that, it was in my it was near my hometown, so all my family was there and everything else. Like you know, I mean, it was great. It was just something that you know you look around and you say, God, you know, bless me, you know, for all the good things He's given me, you know. Well, I remember thinking back in that time period, I was thinking, you know, when the third round came around, I was like, oh, my God, this guy may actually beat the Macho Man. He may actually advance to the that finals. That would have been doom and gloom for us as, like, 
Randy Savage fans. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they let you win on the BS, you know, count outs and this and that. Yeah, and yeah. I was, oh, my God, he's yeah. going to win. I mean, yeah, for the hated, well, that for was, hated rep, see, that would have been horrible. That, 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 that's what you were supposed to believe, man. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and we, you know, we fed you. You know, you, you guys believed it, and that's what we wanted you to believe. And I'm glad. I'm glad, you know, it got over. That's great. We, yeah. we have been told ever since, you know, I've wrestled for 12 years. Josh has been around wrestling all his life, too. You know, you're told this isn't ballet. And, and you know it as well as I do. That ring hurts every time you hit it. But what was one of the worst injuries that you have seen in professional wrestling? And that I have seen? Well, we were at a TV table, and I saw a kid get it crippled from the neck oh, down. Uh, you know, I mean, uh uh, that was probably the worst one I ever saw. It was just a simple thing, and uh, it happens, you know. And you see, uh, he's he'll never walk again or move again, you know. I mean, uh, he's in a, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, and I don't, I can't say this for a fact. It's all speculation, but I, right. they said that uh, the WWF or the W whoever uh, the WWE still takes care of him, sees that he's, you know, at least got, you know. So that's stuff that people don't know about the wrestling world i don't know i heard that and i'm sure that's true but i can't say it as a fact i never saw any you know but but it was a terrible thing that happened and uh and uh a lot of guys who uh thought they were ready to step into the ring actually had very little training or whatever like that uh, uh i felt bad for and i would always caution them to be on the side of caution going out there and, you know, but sometimes things happen and I was just, you know, it makes you think, makes you wonder, you know, when you go out there every night and you're going out there nine times a week, you're putting your life in your hands every time you step into that ring. Uh, You know, you could be crippled. You could be come out of there, you know, uh, dead, you you know, and that's happened also in our business. And uh, that's one thing that the fans, I don't really, you know, want to think about or even think about, but it's and when you go out in that ring, as I just pointed out, right. you're taking your life in your hands every night to entertain the greatest fans in the world. And, it, you know, when they say at all costs, you're putting, you're, that's exactly what you're doing. So, right. what, so it, it, it's given back. So to the fans and I, I just uh, hope that in the future, nothing like that ever takes place. Yeah, you know, they, they run that ad every time saying, don't try this at home. And, and most of the times, kids will try to do body slams and small suplexes on each other. But you got to really hope that the kids aren't really trying to do the power bombs and the power drivers and stuff like that. And, you know, they kind of keep it to pillows instead of chairs, right? But that well, that ring is, you know, as you just pointed out, yeah. that ring is, is not, you know, everybody says, oh, it's, it's padded and stuff like that. Well, it's not padded very much, and <laughs> it's plywood and iron underneath of it. Right. You know, and every time, you know, I had doctors tell me every time you get slammed or you take a bump, your body, your insides jiggle. You know, they move. Right. There's nothing holding them in place, you know, and when you hit your head, your brain's 
sloshes against the sides of your head and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, being tipped upside down, your blood, you know, your blood pressure and stuff like that, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a so much, so many things that can go wrong. You know, you get dizzy at, and you, you know, it's just so many things, but that ring is not a soft, soft place to land at any point in time, <laughs> especially when, you know, someone 300 pound picks you up and throw you know, drives you through that mat. I mean, you know, as you know, it's a wrestling move, but still it hurts. And, right. uh, I mean, you look at uh, Holly Race and uh, all these guys, these older guys, Billy Graham, and all, all these just uh, are, are uh, uh, revolting against them because of all the damage they've done to them over the years. Right. You know, their joints and their, and their hips and all that. It's, uh, you know, it's a price you pay, you know, right. so it is a high price, you know. You competed in the first Royal Rumble match. Was Vince, was Vince hesitant about trying out this style of match on national TV? Vince McMahon Jr. was one of the, I, I don't know how he did it, but he had foresight. I mean, he saw uh, the, what was happening before anybody else did and realized the potential of what he could do with the wrestling. It's no more, uh, as he would say, uh, a girl and a six pack, <laughs> you know, every, every night it was, it was going to go into this. And that's what I alluded to earlier that if you don't want to be part of this, don't because right. the things are changing. You're not going to be able to go out to the bars and fish fight and brawl. You're not going to be in the streets doing the things you need. You got to, you come, you come well-dressed, you come groomed, you come in there and you give a hundred percent, you do what you're supposed to do. And, uh, and, and that's the way it was, was, and he had the foresight and he, the, uh, to bring wrestling into the 21st century, you know, that with the cable and, and, uh, and the TV and the, and the national networks. And, oh, yeah. and then, the, then, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the computers coming in, how he worked that, I mean, it, and he just took chances and he was the first one to do the, the pay-per-views, you know, right. and the WrestleManias and, uh, and uh, the, the, they didn't call it pay-per-view at the time. I forget what they called it, but uh, the, the, he he closed just circuit. had the foresight. Yeah, closed circuit. Closed close circuit, circuit. circuit. Yes, yeah. closed circuit TV. And <laughs> that was, you know, uh, the, the beginning. And he he had the foresight, and he just brought everything into the 21st century. He, you know, you, you, the outfits were glamorous, the music, the lights, the, the you know, the whole nine yards. And, he, I mean, he went out on limbs. And he sometimes I, you know, everybody thought he went a too, a little too far out on limbs, but he always seemed to bounce back, and you know, and it always seemed to be a success. And, and you know, look what he's done to it. You know, it's no more, you know, two dollar hot dogs and beer, throwing beer cans. And, you know, it's 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 in the twenty first century, and it's a glamorous and and a, uh, a thing. I don't know how they're doing financially or anything like that. You know, because I'm out of it. But right. you know, you have to give them credit. You have to give him credit, and to be oh, part yeah. of that, you know, we were the ones that did it. Oh, yeah. And you alluded, you alluded to, to it earlier. It was the greatest, the greatest, by none, greatest time in wrestling history. Were those years, were the Hogan years, and the Dangerous Danny Davis years, and the, and the Hot Foundation years. All those guys, you know, all of us, we worked hard. I mean, like I said, you guys were comic book characters, but we spoke earlier about renting a car and choosing your riding partners closely. Uh, who was the guys that you'd like to ride with, and do you have any good road stories that you can tell? Well, I, I, rode, <laughs> I rode with a, a lot of guys, and, and the stories are just, you know, I, I give you a short one. Uh, I was riding with uh, 
with with one guy, not to mention any names, okay. but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he said uh, he was driving along, you know, and he said, uh, let me know if you get tired. I said, gee, thanks. I'll let you know. He says, yeah, let me know, and I'll reach across and slap you and wake you up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, that, you know, and that, you know, then we started laughing and telling jokes and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, but that's just one little story. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many great, great stories that I could tell you, but, you know, you'd have to involve people <laughs> and stuff like that to appreciate it and stuff like that. <laughs> would just as well, you know, but some of the stories you heard were, were so fantastic and great that, the, you know, you, you made it a pleasure. You, you, you try to make it a pleasurable trip. I mean, you know, I was with a bunch of guys one time and we wrote, wrote three and a half hours the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we all fell asleep. We woke up and the guy driving had t- taken the wrong turn. So, oh. And we woke up and we said, where are we, man? <laughs> I wish you'd be there by now. And he says, we're almost there, I think. You know, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <I think. You> know? <laughs> and uh, we, we pull over and them days there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a GPS and stuff like that or anything like that. So we, we saw the sign. We had a map, you know, a book a map book in a car, you know, the Atlas. And we started looking at where we were. Christ, we were three hours in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so needless to say, we got to the venue late and uh, we got a little scolding for it. But uh, <laughs> but that's just a couple, yeah. It was just great, you know, to be with these guys. It was just something that happened every day. It was always, it was always fun, but there were some times that weren't so good either, you know. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the best piece of advice that you received early on in wrestling? Okay. And this is, this is what I tell everybody when they ask me that question. One of the greatest wrestlers of all times came up to me and he said, listen to me. He said, you're doing well and you probably do well in this business. He said, but I'm going to tell you something now and I want you to listen, but you do with it what you want. He says, I've been wrestling for X amount of years. He says, and I've always been successful, and I'll tell you my secret, one of my secrets. He said, if you go out in that arena and there's 10,000 people there, you work hard. You give 100%. And if there's 10 people in that arena or 20 people in that arena, you work just as hard for those 10 or 20 than you do for that 10,000. You keep that in your mind when you go out in that arena. A lot of these guys go out there and do a two or three minute match. You go out there and give 110% every time to these people who work hard, who work at McDonald's, who work, you know, behind, you know, shoveling crap behind cows and stuff like that and pay that, that hard earned money to bring their family to see you. You remember what I just told you and you'll be successful. And that's the greatest advice I ever got. Well, you can pick up his book right now, Mr. X, The Life Story of Dangerous Danny Davis. Mr. Davis, where can they get that book? You go on DangerousDannyDavis.com, an autograph book or just a book, and there's other pictures and, uh, and other books, Kamala's books there, and uh, Bruce Beefcake's books there. You can order them there, too. So, Once again, go pick that book up, Mr. X, The Life and Story of Dangerous Danny Davis. It has been an honor to have you on, Mr. Davis, and anytime you want to come back and talk to us, we'd be proud to have you on. All right, Rick and Josh, you guys take care of yourself, and God bless you. When you go shopping for wine, do you look at the labels? Do you stare at the price and wonder if the wine is worth the expensive tag? Well, stop it, because Wine of the Month Club has you covered. Every month, Wine of the Month Club is going to send you two bottles of high-quality wine right to your front door. 
And what better way to say I'm thinking of you than a subscription to the original Wine of the Month Club for a friend or a sweetheart. Each month they'll be reminded of your thoughtfulness and will receive the monthly wine letter and newsletter binder. Recipes, wine knowledge, and great wine, and the opportunity to get more of their favorites is at hand. Give with confidence and joy knowing that you're a part of the original Wine of the Month Club. By the way, there are no dues, no fees, no hidden charges. Cancel any time with no obligation. Just pay no more than $23.96 plus shipping for two great bottles of wine. Go there now. Sign up by visiting our link, tinyurl.com slash p3wine. That's tinyurl.com slash p3wine. The Wine of the Month Club, the original wine club since 1972. He speaks fluent Klingon. Backwards. The best story he's ever told was to himself. Of the two women he slept with in his life, one fell asleep, the other thought he was someone else. Dogs take him for walks. He is the world's most semi-interesting man. I don't often smoke, but when I do, I only choose Vista Vapors. Visit them today at tinyurl.com slash p3vista. Keep it flavorful, my friends. Well, the sound of that song means we've reached the end of another episode of P3 Radio. We'd like to thank Dangerous Danny Davis for being a part of today's episode. And we'd like you to follow us on Facebook at Pop Poncho or on Twitter at P3 Radio 1. Send us an email at p3radio1 at gmail.com or give us a call at 731-300-MORK. That's 731-300-6675. For Josh Briley, this is Richard Mulligan saying thank you once again and good night. <laughs>